0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and you're going to want to be in Acts chapter 18 today, Acts chapter 18, so if you've got your Bible with you, um, it, is, uh, it is about, I don't know, maybe halfway through the New Testament, maybe, a, I don't know, what does that look like, maybe a sixth of the way from the end, Acts chapter 18 is wheres is where we're going to be, and we're going to be focusing uh, a lot uh, on verses 9 and 10 over the course of today, although we'll jump around just a little bit. Okay, so we are a few weeks into our sermon series that we're calling Sent Out. Um, in which we are following the adventures of Paul on his second missionary journey. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, let me catch you up on a couple of details. Paul is one of the primary authors of the New Testament. He was a guy who was originally an enemy of the Christian church, had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life, and made him one of the most important leaders in the Christian church. And uh, after, after that moment, after being trained, Paul went with others on at least three missionary journeys, taking the message of the gospel to areas uh, covering from Israel to Rome. And there's even a few people who think that he made it all the way to Spain. He said he wanted to go to Spain. We don't know if he actually went there or not, but that's the whole area. I mean, he was all over kind of the, the, the known world. Um, and so in this in this story of paul 's journey, he goes into the Greek marketplaces and to the Jewish synagogues, like Jason talked about last week and um, and he preaches the Gospel of Jesus and he sees lots of people come to faith i mean uh, the poor and power brokers like everything in between people are coming to faith coming to 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 repentance and belief and baptism into the Christian church i mean it is it is amazing to read what happens over the course of these missionary journeys this is not just a well he went over here and led a church service and then it ended at 11 and everybody got out before the baptists to get lunch like yeah, i mean this was a this was a big this, big things happened he would um uh he, he comes across uh he comes across a lot of um, opposition in this as well. He is beaten. He is spit on. He is yelled at. He is drug out of cities. This, is a, this was a major missionary journey that had some pretty extreme ups and some pretty extreme downs. And it's easy to read the accounts of the people in Scripture and forget about their humanity. I mean, these are... These are real people. This isn't, just a, this isn't a fictional story that we use to inspire our children. This is, this is a real truth. These were real people and accounts of the life of real people following the real Christ. And we like to forget sometimes that they, about the, the sweat and the muscle cramps and the head colds that they must have experienced in their journeys. They were just like us. I have to travel a good bit with my work uh, overseeing church planting for our denomination, and I get weary just by traveling. You know how when you fly, you have to walk that really uh, thin line of not drinking enough water um, uh, leads to leg cramps, right? And If you ever get a leg cramp on a plane, and you're like trying to stretch out your legs, and you can't move, and you have to stay in that uh, terrible position for about an hour, that is awful, right? But if you drink too much water... Then you have to go, I need to, I need to get up again, right? Like, and you have to go, yes, everybody, my bladder's full. Can you please let me out into the aisle? And you take the walk of shame to the little tiny closet that you have to fold yourself into. And so, so you have to, you, there's this, there's this bounce. I'll tell you about my equation sometime later on about how, uh, about how much water to drink it that. But then you get to where you need to go. You land. You check into a hotel. It's lonely. There's nobody else there that you know. Um, then you're laying in bed, and you're like, this is comfy, but I feel like I'm laying on a layer of a thousand people's skin cells, right? Like there's that, there's that trout, yeah, Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so, and then you wake up the next day and they have free breakfast and it's like brown bananas and chunky yogurt, right, in the morning and it's just exhausting to travel. It's just weird. And these are on air-conditioned... I go from an air-conditioned plane to an air-conditioned airport to an air-conditioned hotel. Everything's supposed to be as comfortable as possible. Paul, at this point, when we catch up to him in Acts chapter 18, he's about to go into the city of Corinth, and he has traveled over 1,500 miles, either on foot or on the back of an animal, dusty, dangerous roads, not by air-conditioned airplanes. The man must have been exhausted and hurting. Like, I've never walked through an airport and been pulled off to the side and beaten and then drug out of the airport. That happens often to Paul, right? And you don't just, like, like we read those stories and, we, and he was beaten, he was persecuted, beaten in a city, drug outside of the city, and then he gets up and he walks back into the city. We forget that he probably limped back into the city. I mean, he, he just got the snot beaten out of him, right? You don't just shake that off that lasts for a while, and then you got to get on a donkey and ride for a bit? I mean, he must have been exhausted, physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. And so he comes to Corinth. What's God going to do with Paul? I mean, if God sent him on this mission, he probably should have taken into consideration human frailty um, and the fact that that we can burn out and that we can uh, and that we can falter. Uh, and so, does God just ride Paul like a like a horse until it falls over dead, and then just find somebody else? Is that is that the way this works? No, I want you to see the way that God ministers to Paul in the midst of this. Let me tell you why we're looking at this this way. We won't look at every verse in the whole passage from Dick's. I just want to really zoom in on a couple of them because, because we've gone through a difficult couple of years as a society, I don't think I need to unpack that. I'm pretty certain that we're okay on the details of that one, right? Um, and uh, and, and you've, if you've been here at Redeemer for the last decade or so, um, you've done a lot of work here within the church as well. It's easy to come to this place and just be exhausted. Um, and then when we do a sermon series on being sent out, and we're like, go! You're supposed to go out from these walls, out into the community, go out and tell other people about Jesus, go out and be a part of Agents of Redemption, go It's easy to go, man, I'm tired. I'm just tired. And so does God go, I don't care if you're tired. I told you to go. Let's see how he cares for and ministers to Paul because I think he's caring for and ministering to us in the same way. All right, so jump down. We're going to start in verse nine, Acts 18, verse 9, and then we're going to jump back up to the beginning in just a second. But but here's, here's what the Lord says to Paul. Verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I just love that that this vision that God gave to Paul, a private vision to Paul, is included in the scripture for us to be able to read thousands of years later. Because God himself appears to Paul in a vision, whatever that looks like, I don't know, it doesn't describe the vision, it just says that Paul had a vision and the Lord says this to him, God noticed his weakness, God noticed his exhaustion, God noticed his, his brokenness, and, and reaches out to encourage him. What an amazing God it is that we have who created the entire universe, rules over the entire universe, holds all things together, the scripture says to us. So the reasons that our atoms don't go flying out from one another is because of Jesus who creates and sustains all things. And in the midst of all of that that God has going on, he comes in a vision one evening to Paul and says, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. What an amazing, loving, comforting, caring, personal God that we have. So when God comes to encourage Paul in this way, he, he does this by, by, with two promises. He says, don't be afraid, go on speaking. In other words, don't be afraid, continue on the mission that I have called you on, that I've sent you out on. And do not be afraid for two reasons. First... You can see it in verse 10. I am with you. That's the first promise that God makes to Paul. And the the amazing thing about this promise is that this is the same promise that God makes over and over and over and over again in the scripture. He's quite consistent about this. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's constantly saying this. Anyone that he sends out, he then promises to be with them as they go. Just two kind of random examples. Okay, Deuteronomy 31, Moses has been leading the people. He is now gone. They're, gonna, they're, they're trying to adapt to having a new leader in Joshua. Joshua is about to take them into the promised land and told them there's going to be a lot of war ahead of them as well and difficult things. And In Deuteronomy 31, it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This was many, many, many years before God appears to Paul in a vision and says, don't fear, for I am with you. So God sends sends his prophets into the people of Israel, and they're going to get beaten up and and led out of the city sometimes as well. And in, in Isaiah 49, God comes to Isaiah and he says this, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you, so do not fear, for I am with you Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. This is two of over 80 times in the scripture where God tells people that he has sent that he is going to be with them. Promises to go before them. And, And For us, we like to look at the New Testament as it applies directly to us in very specific ways. And God, in what we call the Great Commission, Jesus says to us, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then how does he end that passage in Matthew chapter 28? He says, for surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. Our God doesn't just send us out and leave us to our own devices and then tell us to report back on a Sunday, let him know how that's going. But that he says, I'm going with you. I'm not sending you anywhere without me. And friends, as Christians, for those of us who are Christians in this room, our greatest desire is the presence of God. That should be our greatest desire in all of our lives, is the increased presence and intimate knowledge of God himself. That's what, that's what our eternal life is going to look like, friends, is the eternal presence of God. And so when he promises, I will be with you, that is a significant promise and the sweetest of encouragements. All right, so the first promise that God makes to Paul to encourage him is, I will be with you, personally with you. Second promise that he makes to him is he says, Do not be afraid, I will be with you, and I have many in this city who are my people. That's the second way that God encourages Paul. I'm going to be with you, and I have many in this city who are my people. Paul's like, I'm kind of afraid. God says, Don't worry, I got a guy. I got a I got a guy. He's in, uh, he's in Corinth. He's going to be okay. I have many people in this city who belong to me. We don't have to be afraid because there is the church in the city. Because the people of God are in the city. So let's examine this a little bit more. This, this, this phrase do not be afraid, for I have many people in this city who are mine, or who belong to me. First, there's a bit of an uncomfortable truth with this. This phrase from God reveals that some people are his, and some people are not. Right? He says, I have many in this city that are mine. He doesn't say, everybody in the city is mine. He says, I have some people. And that's an uncomfortable truth um, that, that, uh, that feels exclusive or divisive. Well, I will say this God is not exclusive. He desires all people to repent, to believe, to be saved, and to be counted in His number. All people. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, he desires their repentance and their to belong to him. He has gone through great pains to make sure that this is not an exclusive club or a closed family. He has come to be one of us in the person of Jesus, to die an atoning death on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to rise again and then ascend into heaven in order to offer us the opportunity to not be outside of the people of God. God has gone through great pains to make sure that the opportunity to belong to him and to be one of his is offered to you and to all people. That's what, that's what the majority of this book is about. So this is not an exclusive statement, but at the same time, it's also a very challenging statement because the fact that there are some people in the city that belong to God should be an encouragement to Paul. But the fact that there are other people who don't belong to God in that city is exactly why Paul is there to try to bring the good news to them. So... The gospel that we believe in places like Ephesians 2 says that through Jesus, those who are far away have been brought near. In Romans chapter 5, it says that we used to be enemies of God, but that we have been reconciled to him by Jesus. There is, a, there is an, there's an out and there's an in. There's the people of God and there are people that are outside of the people of God. And the people of God don't, don't are not then supposed to look out with crossed arms and lifted up noses and go, huh. Look where we are and look where you are. But rather we are sent out to say that the blessings of God, the the community of God, the presence of God, the forgiveness of God, the, the beauty of God can belong to you and it has come through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we are sent out. Mission is about changing the fact that some people belong to God and some people don't. That's why God says to Paul, be encouraged and go on speaking. In your encouragement, go on speaking about this truth that you know to other people as well. The role, the purpose of mission is to participate with God in the work that he's doing. And the work that God is doing, as we see throughout the scripture, is that God is making a people for himself. That's what we see throughout the the overarching narrative that is in this book. This is not just a book of a lot of bullet-pointed wisdom for how you can have your best life now. That is not what this book is is about. Uh, This book is about the glory of God and the work that God is doing within the world to redeem his fallen creation, and that is us. And mission is about participating in that. Buddy Hocutt mentioned this uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, that God is about making a people for himself. Briefly, to go through this, the, the story at a 30,000-foot level, we see this at the very beginning of the scripture in Genesis, when God creates everything, and then he creates Adam and Eve, and then he takes them to the edge of the garden. And he says this, this amazing phrase that we call the cultural mandate, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Make more people. Make more people... That, are, that belong to God and participate in the things of God. And then throughout the scripture, we see this is God's plan. Even though sin enters the world in, in Genesis chapter 3 and skews this plan and how this is going to work out, um, that this is the plan that continues. That after, after Adam and Eve, when we get to the point of Noah, when God kind of resets the earth, wickedness has spread across the earth. And so he, he sort of resets things and he saves Noah. When Noah comes off of the ship off of the ark he comes off and god says to him be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it make a people and that doesn't work for very long with him either and because he planted grapes fermented them had this great drunken party and everything goes off the rails after uh, again after that if you don't know what i'm talking about you are really missing out not reading this book i mean if you everybody's like the bible's boring it is they, I can't, uh, anyway, all right, so we don't have time for that. So, so it doesn't go well with Noah in sort of the, in the reset of things either. And so God eventually chooses a guy, Abraham, Abraham at the time, and then he changes his name to Abraham. And he says, look, here's what I'm going to do through you. I'm going to make a people through you. That's what he promises to Abraham. I'm going to make a people through you. I'm going to give him a land. I'm going to bless him. He gives him all these promises, but he says, I'm going to make a people through you. And then when those people end up getting, getting taken as slaves by, a, by Egypt, God sends Moses to bring out his people. What is it? Let my people go, right? That's the, my people. You see, there's this constant phrase of God saying, I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my people. And of God saving his people. When the prophets are then later on Sent to Israel, they're constantly calling them back to say, this is how you act as the people of God. And when Israel didn't really live into that either, and the prophets kept coming and saying, God is going to fix the fact that you're having a hard time being my people... And that ultimately comes true in the person of Jesus Christ, who comes and lives as a person of God should, living sinless, fulfilling the covenant of our end of the agreement with God of being his people, uh, and then of dying on the cross in atonement for our sins and in his resurrection, opening the door for all of us through faith to become children of Abraham, people of God all of this is about the people of God. And then, then the resurrected Christ, he, he breathes on his disciples just be- before he ascends. He breathes on them, which looks back to Genesis chapter one and chapter two, when God created man from the earth, he breathed life into him. And then he said to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now Jesus, the resurrected Christ, breathes on his disciples and receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, go and make disciples of all." all nations. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Make a people. Make disciples. And how are those disciples made? Well, they're baptized into the church. This is why baptism is entrance into the church community. It's not just a public profession of your faith. It is a sacrament of entrance into the Christian community. And so when we hold someone, adult or baby or anybody in between, and we take them and we have this giant bucket of water, and we take them and we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're under the water of death. And then we bring them back out from the water like this, and the first thing they see as the water is streaming off of them is the face of the community welcoming them. That's why we don't do baptisms by ourselves in like our baby pool in the backyard, right? This is a communal thing, and our faith is a communal faith. God has been making a people, and so the mission of God is making a people for himself, and now Paul, who is a part of that mission, God is saying, Be encouraged, don't be afraid, because I have people here. The mission of God is making a people for God. It is God's mission that we are then a part of. And so the church is the result of mission and the actors within mission as well. And God says to Paul take the pressure off your own shoulders individual, uh, evangelism is not just an individual sport. Evangelism is a team sport. Mission is a team sport. Be encouraged because I've got people here, and you're going to be serving and working and being protected by them. So Paul, in his weariness, is asking, what's going to, what's awaiting me next? Am I going to get beaten up here too? What's next? What's going to come next? Like another pandemic? What's going to come next? And God says, don't worry, because I have people here. Let me ask this question. How do we live here at Redeemer? How do we live corporately and individually as the people of God so that the people of Greensboro can say, I don't have to be afraid because God has people here. In the midst of political upheaval and, uh, and ideological tensions and health scares and, and all of the different issues that we're fighting and that we're worried about and that we're scared, how, how do we live as a people so that God can say in a vision or through other people or however he's going to communicate to say, don't be afraid, I have many in this city who are my people. How do you live? so that that truth can be said about you. So, Quickly, before we end, I want, to, I want to zoom in from this big idea of the people of God into a quick example of two people in Corinth who, who lived out being, being a part of the people of God that encouraged Paul and were a part of mission. Because I want us to see these are people that we can emulate and learn when we listen to this and go, yeah, I want to do that. Like, I want to be a part of the people of God. I want God to be able to, to say look, look, the people can be encouraged in Greensboro because this family is here. I want that to be my family. How do I do that? All right, so let's look up at verse 1. It says this, after Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So the reason they had left Rome is because there was a persecution in Rome. And so they have now come to Corinth, and the scripture doesn't tell us, and they were really encouraged when Paul came to them. It actually says that they are going to be used to encourage Paul. But isn't it amazing that all of these people are experiencing persecution together, and their being together in it is encouraging and that they shouldn't be afraid. Okay, so you have Aquila and Priscilla, and Paul went to see them, it says, and in verse 3 it says, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So, Aquila and Priscilla... Really important people in the scripture love Aquila and Priscilla because they're they're not overly developed as characters in the scripture, but they, they pop up in really important like one-liners here and there of things that they do to show how important like Paul gets all the all the glory for the work of, of mission and his missionary journeys, but it's people like Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy and Titus and so many others who are surrounding him that did a great portion of the work as well. So Aquila and Priscilla models for what it means to be active as the people of God on mission. So what did they do? First of all, it says that Paul stayed with them. So hospitality is a part of mission. Hospitality is a part of mission. Letting people into your home. And when you're like, oh, but my home is dirty, and I've got to clean it all up, and I've got to, we like, would actually have to do the dishes, and I don't even know where the vacuum is. Look, people will need to enter your life exactly the way that it is right now. They don't need your cleaned up space. They don't need your, the perfect side of you, because their house is as dirty and as nasty as yours. And they need to be with you in the midst of your life open up your home, house a fellow. Every year we're looking for people to to house fellows in our fellows program. Get them into your home. Open up your house. Be like, somebody's going to live with me for that many months? Yes, they are. And you can encourage them and bless them. And you know what? That kind of hospitality is going to bless and encourage you as well. Have dinner with your neighbors. One time when we planted the church outside of Atlanta, we, we, uh, my, uh, my son was uh, got to be good friends in kindergarten with another kindergarten kid, and, uh, and so they were playing a lot together. So we said, well, why don't we have him over with his parents? We'll have his parents over for dinner. You guys can play. We'll get to know them. This will be great. Right? So, so, uh, so we were eating dinner with the parents. Kids were off Legos or sharp knives or something. They were playing. And, um, and so we were at dinner, and it was really awkward, like, they weren't really talking to us, and I mean, it was, the conversation was hard, and then it started to loosen up, and we started to actually be able to have some conversation, and it went fine. Before the evening was over, here's what they said to us, what they admitted to us. They said, we've lived here outside of Atlanta for six or seven years, and yours is the first house that we've been in other than our own. And so when you invited us, we didn't know what you wanted. They were like... <laughs> Uh, they were like, this quote-unquote, right? We didn't know if you were going to try to sell us Amway. (laughs) We didn't know if you were swingers. Like, that's what they said to us. (laughs) I was like, how far have we gotten away from hospitality in our culture that the ulterior motives come down to Amway or being a swinger is why we would bring you over for dinner? There's got to be something else like conversation, may be part of it, right? We have moved away, we've become so cynical and so scared and so isolated and so individual that we see other people as enemies or scary or should we let them in our house or what are they going to say if they come in our house? We've got, friends, we need to get back to the gospel and part of of the gospel is just radical hospitality. Let people into your home, into your life. How's your people from work come eat with you? Look, we're, we have to replace our deck pretty soon. I'm going to stand up here and go, friends, <laughs> we need you to come over and help us rebuild our deck because it's rotting and everybody's going to fall into the ground. Come hang out with me. I will buy you pizza, right? I mean, that, 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 that might not be an official church announcement, but I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just putting you on notice. Um, and so do things together. Hospitality was a part of Aquila and Priscilla. And you know what else? It wasn't just Paul, it was other people as well. In Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions Aquila and Priscilla again, and he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house, and greet my beloved, I always mix up his name, A pain." Epi, we call him Epi, um, who, was, uh, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Do you see what happens? They, start, they actually start having a church that meets in their house, and someone has come to know Christ through their hospitality and opening up their home. And because of their hospitality, there's one more person that is going to be gathered around the throne of God, that one day we get to meet him because he has come to know Christ through the hospitality of Aquila and Priscilla. Open up your homes just to love people, okay? A couple more things that, that they did uh, as well. I want to jump down, jump down some as well. We're gonna, there's more details about this next week. I'm just going to give a little bit of the narrative today. Look at Acts 18, verse 18. It says, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, so they were called to be traveling missionaries. They were called to leave their house, their home, their business, everything, and go and travel to, to preach the gospel. Maybe you're called to that. Maybe you are. Maybe the Lord right now is going to speak to you and say, sell your business, sell your home, pack up all your stuff, and you have got to go and start traveling to go bring the gospel to places that don't have it. Maybe that's the case. But when it says that Paul leaves, it says, in that, it says that he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. In other words, not everybody left. Being sent out does not necessarily mean being sent away being sent out does not necessarily mean change the entire world for Christ. Your call might be, like Aquila and Priscilla, to pick things up and to move on, um, but it might be to just stay where you are to serve well where you are to work well where you are to do your vocation well um, uh, with uh with the lord and with mission in mind to take care of your house in your cul-de-sac so that people go there's good stewardship over here um and i want to be like that as well they seem like good people i want to be able to get to know them how are you a missionary in your own area Now, one last thing about Aquila and Priscilla that I want to challenge you with this morning. Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says this, there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, and he was an eloquent man. He was well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Man, I hope that somebody describes me that way someday. Like, what a great resume, passionate about jesus teaches well great enthusiasm and then he and he began to speak boldly and i love this in verse 26 but when priscilla and aquila heard him they took him aside and explained the way of god to him a little more accurately i love it like he's burning with passion and he's preaching and he's doing a good job but they're like apollos come have dinner with us and let us explain things a little bit better They are pouring into Apollos. They are developing younger believers. And you are called to develop younger believers as well. I don't care how old you are. If you're in high school, how do you pour into the lives of other high schoolers or middle schoolers? If you're in college, how do you pour into to the, to our high schoolers? How do you pour into the other people in college? If you're, in a, if you're a young family, how do you pour into the folks who are preparing for marriage? If, you are, if your kids are grown and they're out, how do you pour into the people who right now, every time their child coughs, goes, oh my gosh, it's going to die, right? Like how do, you, how, do you love, how do you love the people who are learning how to be Christians who are younger than you? You are called to that. You are called to that, just like Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos. And if you say, Dan, but I don't know enough to be able to do that. So here's my response. Learn. Like stop making excuses about it, right? I mean, this is this is important stuff. This is this is this is the gospel of life, and new believers and younger believers need you. And so, if your responsibility then is to learn first, then grow, D- get involved in growth series classes. Um, uh, take Alpha and then Beta and then whatever comes after that, and then our discovery classes and our Alpha and our Anglican Way classes, and be a part of life here. Take Nathan Hedman's course on vocation as as mission. Um learn, grow. That's part of your responsibility because not only do you then grow in extreme joy in knowing the presence of God, you also get to pour into the lives of others, which is what you have been created to do. So learn. We'll help you. Be Aquila and Priscilla and pour into the life of others. So I leave you simply with these highlights. Paul, exhausted, exhausted, drags himself into corinth and god says don't worry this mission is bigger than you be encouraged keep on speaking because i've got people here i have the church here And we see throughout the scripture that God is making a people to know him and to make him known to other people. And that story doesn't stop at the last page of the scripture. It is about the church. It is about us who should be encouraged by the presence of other Christians here um, and also should be encouraged to go out so that others who do not know Christ can come to know this family that we know. And if you're in this room right now and you are not a Christian, I want to encourage you to listen to these claims of Christ, to, to listen to the invitation to know this, this purpose of which you, for which you have been created and this family to which you are called to be surrounded by. I pray that we will be a people who live in the example of Aquila and Priscilla, hospitable and teaching others and raising up others and taking seriously the call to participate in God's redemption. And may the city of Greensboro be a place that is safe, because God's people at the Church of the Redeemer are here. Pray with me. God, we've got a thousand things going on in our lives. And sometimes it feels like when we talk about mission or evangelism or, or anything else that it feels like one more thing. Lord, help it to not be one more thing for us, but help us to see all of the other things that we do in our life as a part of the mission that you've called us to. Just like Aquila and Priscilla used their business for the work of mission and encouraging Paul, help us to use our vocations in our as students or parents or business people or workers or, uh, or in school or whatever it is that we are lord help us to be help us to be a people of god who are sent out and let us be encouraged lord that this is not an individual calling but a corporate calling and that you have promised to be with us and that you are sending us as a part of a greater whole the church and lord let us reach outside of these walls with this good and great gospel that you have given us that we can go to greensboro Maybe you'll send us to the ends of the earth as well, but first let's start with Greensboro. And how do we live as a people here so that the rest of the city does not have to be afraid because your people are in their midst? Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us us with the joy of your salvation and the boldness and eagerness of a missional heart all through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.